eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. You can read all of our stories. There is a season coming. We are less than a month away from it, actually just over four weeks. So it is coming. Uh, You can check it all out out at michigan.247sports.com and the michiganinsider.com if you like this podcast, we always encourage you to share it with your friends, subscribe, throw us a nice rating, uh, you know, give us some feedback here and there, and you can do that pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, we, we, we do, Steve and myself specifically do one to two per week, uh, especially once the season gets going, we'll probably be more at two per week. There's also a weekly recruiting podcast. Uh, that's, that's a very popular one. And then it sound, as basketball season comes, I think Sam and Tim McCormick are going to do a weekly basketball podcast as well. They've had some great guests. I believe they just had Charles Matthews this week, last week, yep. uh, recently, whenever they did their last episode. And, and obviously Tim McCormick's a, a great basketball mind as well. So really you can get, I mean, if you, if you're a, if you're a Michigan fan or want to want to get the latest on Michigan football, basketball and recruiting, I don't, I don't know if there's a better place to go. So that being said, this episode uh, we might take questions for our next episode, but this one, I actually had an idea, uh, speaking of going and reading our stories, this will be a story uh, with a little bit more fleshed out of the, the numbers and the facts and everything, but five things Michigan and Michigan fans can feel good about a month before the season and five things they can't just yet. You know, they, they, there's some uncertainties. Um, I tried to be a little bit more specific than running backs. Good cornerbacks unclear i tried to get a little bit more specific with a few of these uh so hopefully you guys enjoy it but steve i I sent you the list before we can start let's start with the one that that i think is the most pertinent just because jim harbaugh talked about it yesterday and that's the leadership i I do think this is a team for you know there's going to be some position groups where they have new starters they might have players who struggle or have growing pains i don't think anyone is suggesting they're a top five team, right? Uh, and very few are suggesting they're a top 10 team. But I, I do think it is interesting. We've talked about this a few times. They have leaders at every single, like, and, and not just lead, like returning starters who are seniors and, or, or, you know, fourth year players at every single position group. They lost Nico Collins. So the receiver room doesn't have that, but we can talk about receiver uh, in just a moment for a different reason, but you know, between Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy pay Carlo Kemp up front, you know, you have Josh Ross, you have Cam McGrone, Brad Hawkins. Um, 
I guess cornerback lost their lost their veteran presence too, right? With Ambry Thomas, but offensive line uh, with Jalen Mayfield and and some you know Vistardis and Chuck Filiaga, Andrew Stuber, I believe all fourth fourth year guys. Uh, Nick Eubanks at tight end, running back. You have Chris Evans. You also have two returning starters. So I I you know I've I've heard that this year might be the, a year where Michigan names more captains than than usual and maybe than ever before. And I think I just listed, I mean, that's not even counting guys that you know are, are locker room leaders like a Ben Mason. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's mentioned Quinn Nordine a few times. So he was, he was on the Inside Michigan Football Show with John Jansen yesterday, and he basically name-dropped like nine guys who stand out as leaders. And I think just about all of them could end up being named captains. So does that get you to the college football playoff? I, I don't know, but I do think, Steve, Michigan fans, if, if they can – in addition to the team probably being good overall, right? I mean, this isn't going to be a three and seven team, uh, one would think. But I think there's there's a lot more leadership, and it's it's at m- many positions, maybe more so than in previous seasons. Uh, your thoughts on on the leaders? I mean, there's a lot of guys who've been around a long time. Yeah, and I like the the spreading, you know, the wide spectrum of leaders and vets at different positions. I think that's important, but also I think on top of that, it may be most important when you consider how, you know, we've, to me, we've talked a lot about Michigan getting over the hump against Ohio state and where they're, they're up front. They've kind of struggled a little bit in the trenches. Mm-hmm. I think having veterans across the board on your defensive line is, is huge, not just for those guys themselves and the experience they have, but in helping maybe help to, kind of build bring that youth along because there's a lot of talented guys in the wings kind of waiting but that haven't really gotten that experience uh mm-hmm. we've seen taylor upshaw is looks like a guy who might be ready to make an impact luigi Vlaine seems to be finally 100 percent healthy you know david ojabo you know is a guy chris hinton who will play a lot mozzie smith you know in the middle so i think having a lot of depth uh, a lot of leadership and and veteran just knowledge um, prowess, all those other cool words, you know, that people use in these situations. <laughs> I think, I think having it up front in the defensive line is, is huge. Uh, so, but a, yeah, but like you said, really what we say, wide receiver and quarterback, if we're being fair, uh, right. Spots and corner a little bit. I think Vince Gray has some experience. I don't know. Yeah. Quite maybe a captain type guy yet, but, um, you know, receiver quarterback, maybe two spots where, they're lacking that, but on the flip side, they're not really lacking for talent in those two spots either. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. No, I think I think this is a, a deep leadership team, and I'm, I'll be fascinated. You know, I, I've always said I thought Carlo Kemp would. I picked him as a captain before he was even enrolled. He's probably likely to be a two-time captain this year. I'll be interested to see who else joins him in that regard. I could see a guy like yeah. Nick Eubanks. Um, Really, you can see. I'd be interested. You know, I know Chris Evans was actually like sort of suspended for last year, but I, I think a lot of guys in the locker room really respect and know what he's been through. You know, so not saying he'd be one. I could. I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out, but a lot of possibilities in that regard. Yeah, I, I think there are, and I think one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that this is kind of a year where you if you're going to be a good football team, you do need really good leadership. You know, I, 
normally I'd say take the talent over the leaders, but in a, in a year where um, no one knew if there was going to be a season, players had to kind of hold themselves accountable for workouts until mid-June. Um, even then, they had to hold themselves accountable to, I guess, follow the protocols and, and go about life safely, right? And then the season gets taken away uh, indefinitely. You know, if they had, if they had said in, in August, hey, it's postponed seven weeks, totally different story. Uh, but they didn't know if there was going to be a season. Michigan continued to practice. So we'll, uh, every single one of these is kind of a, well, we'll have to see. But I do think as far as captain, I think they have a lot of captains. I, I, my prediction, Steve, is that I think you see Kemp, Pay, Hutchinson, Ross, Eubanks, and I think there might be one or two more all named captains. I know, I know Jim Harbaugh, it's usually been two or three captains. I think one year they had four. Uh, based on the admiration Jim Harbaugh seems to have for the veteran leaders of this team and the players too, because it is a player's vote, I think you could see a lot of players uh, get the captain distinction, which, by the way, I mean, it's not, it's not diluting the role, I think Ohio state had six or seven captains last year. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not abnormal uh, among other teams. It just hasn't happened at Michigan. Anyway, next, next one, let's, let's get a little bit more specific. This was the first one I wrote down because it, it's just something that's very easy to prove. And that is wide receiver speed. So obviously uh, Nico Collins is a, is a huge loss for the Wolverines. They, they lose a, a guy who was probably, you know, they, they call them 50-50 balls, but when you threw to Nico Collins, it was probably 75-25, maybe even, even higher. I mean, he, he had the wingspan, 83-inch wingspan, 6'4 frame, uh, pretty good speed, pretty good shiftiness for his size, uh, really good catchability. I mean, he didn't drop very many passes. You know, drew penalties, sometimes drew penalties and still caught the ball. So that's, that's a huge part of their offense that they're missing. But if you look at the receivers that they have, I... I think you might be able to make a case this is the fastest wide receiver group Michigan's ever had. And obviously some of that's natural because, uh, you know, people get faster over time. People are faster now than they were 30 years ago. But even just looking compared to the rest of the Big Ten. So here's what I did. I went and looked at the 100-meter dash times, the 40-yard dash times, and then the shuttle run times because I think that's important to receiver too. For uh, Roman Wilson, A.J. Henning, and Giles Jackson. And the average 100-meter dash time was 10.77 between those three. The average 40-yard dash time, this is laser time verified at, at uh, the opening events, 4.41. And the average shuttle time was 3.96. So 10.77, 4.41, Then I looked at maybe a, a guy that I think of as like the best game-breaking receiver in the Big Ten in Rondell Moore. His 100-meter dash time was 10.76. His 40-yard dash time, 4.33, very fast. And then his shuttle time was 4.02. So you're looking at three receivers Michigan has on its roster. Their average times in three, you know, objectively laser-timed, like these are not, you know, high school coach with a fast stopwatch situations basically with the same long speed and shuttle run, slower 40 time, but 
same long speed and shuttle run as a guy that many people are looking at as a top 10 pick. And so I think there's a lot of questions about the receiver room. I think, you know, in terms of size, I mean, Cornelius Johnson, I believe is the only one above six one as far as scholarship players. But I think if you look at the speed and, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't slight Mike Sainer still, who is believed to be one of the fastest players on the team. Uh, Ronnie Bell, I mean, he showed how productive he was last year. I don't think anyone would call him slow. I don't know if his 40 time is, is necessarily under 4-4, but I, I got to think it's under 4-5 based on what we've seen. And so, I mean, they've got several players who, as you know, talk about the speed and space. Well, Josh Gaddis kind of, I mean, Michigan started to want speed and space before it even hired Josh Gaddis. And so Gaddis gets to walk into this room, and I, I'm sure he's, licking his chops a little bit saying if that guy has five yards of space he'll go to the sideline and he'll get 20 yards and so you can you can make more in terms of production with less in terms of room so you know I I I personally think the wide receiver room has a lot to prove this year but just on paper uh, Michigan fans can feel really good this is a fast wide receiver group maybe top 10 fastest in the country. That is not something Michigan gets to say very often, uh, but they do. I, I do think they, they get to say it this year. Steve, your thoughts. I mean, the numbers are the numbers, right? Yeah. Just a matter of putting it to use on the field, which we saw glimpses of it last year. I do think missing Nico Collins is a big, you know, big in that regard. It does put a lot of pressure on Johnson, which we've heard a lot of good things about Johnson and he did play in every game last year which we've always said is a good sign that the staff thinks they have a guy, whether it's on special teams or garbage time or what Mm -hmm. for a guy to be playing that often is, is usually good. So does put some pressure on him to kind of sort of be the counterbalance to all that speed. Cause yeah, Michigan, the rest of their core relatively similar. I do think it puts small amount of pressure on, a guy like Roman Wilson to come in and try to make an early impact, right? I mean, if he, yeah. we, because we've seen freshmen, you know, receiver used to be a spot where you didn't see true freshmen across the country make like an immediate impact, but you're starting to see it more and more every year. We know how high Michigan was on Wilson to begin with, you know, and we've heard a lot of really good things about him already. So, got to think that they have some expectation there too. So, and he's six one. He's not, you know, he's sort of. He can play outside. Yeah, I mean, it's not a guy yeah. that you have to play in the slot. So, so he he is also semi important. But yeah, I mean, this is yeah, definitely the fact. I mean, and and it's not getting any slower with the guys right. they bring in next year. You know, we talked yeah. about Xavier Worthy, who is actually legitimately may end up being faster than all of these guys. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, to say it's something that Michigan fans can feel good about is. But it's clear as day that they should feel good about how fast Michigan's going to be. It's just a matter of putting it to work on the field and having a quarterback that can get them the ball. Yeah. Yeah, the quarterback part, we'll talk about that uh, in, the, in the back half of this episode. We're doing five things Michigan feels good about and then five things maybe they don't – maybe fans might lose sleep over a little bit for now until, until it's shown on the field. But, yeah, Wilson, uh, 10.68100, shuttle. You could drop that in the combine and it'd be one of the best performances, period. So third thing, let's go from speed to, to strength. I think one group that I think is really 
uh, going to be good at this. And maybe they are looking for a little bit of the home run, you know, big time speed stuff. But I think the running backs, this is a very strong, physically strong running backs room. I know Jim Harbaugh talked yesterday uh, very highly of the running backs. And sounds like, I mean, we've, we've heard from Chris Evans. We've heard from Josh Gaddis. We've heard from Chris Evans' teammates. Sounds like he's back and, and right in the mix. You know, this isn't a, oh, he took a year off and might, might struggle in his fifth year. No, he's going to be, he's going to play a significant role. And, and between Charbonnet, who I think was always, I mean, you know, it's not quite a dichotomy between bruiser and speed back, but he was always, if, if, the, if it was a spectrum, I think he was always slightly more toward the bruiser because of, you know, how he attacks the weight room, uh, how strong he is, both upper body and lower body. And then just kind of the, the way he runs, he doesn't shy away from contact. Hassan Haskins, I think you've talked about, Steve, his, his fall forward rate uh, being really, really good. And, and the numbers show. I mean, they don't, neither of those backs had negative rushes very much last year. They, every running back has a couple, but, you know, they, at the very least, they can get you one or two. And so I think, and then Chris Evans, he's at 216 himself. Uh, you know, they, they, they're going to be able to play a physical running game if they want to this, this year. And, and they're going to be able to have guys who will, I mean, make defenders kind of, Go backwards, you know, get an extra yard here, extra yard there. I think, you know, I'm still, you know, I think maybe Blake Corum's the answer. Maybe Chris Evans uh, can, can showcase some of the elusiveness that, that he's shown before. I'm still not sure if the running back room has a true, like, home run threat, like a, like a J.K. Dobbins. You know, last year, I think Michigan ranked 80th in the country in rushes of 10 yards or more, or 20 yards or more, excuse me. They had 15 after having 23 the previous year. And they only had five rushes of 30 yards or more after having 12 the previous year. So I think they're still looking maybe for the explosive rushes. But man, they've got three guys that can just roll out there and, and they can take a lot of carries without it necessarily wearing them down. They've got really good durability and I think really good strength, which is also key in terms of pass protection. So, you know, running back probably across the board of strength, but I think the physical strength of the running backs is something Michigan fans can probably say, yep, that that's going to work. I mean, they're not going to back down from a challenge. I mean, I think I want to see Charbonnet can do this year, knowing now that he's a hundred percent. And I know that's something we've talked about plenty of times, plenty of times before he is a hundred percent. I actually think Harbaugh specifically said, said yesterday. the same thing. He said, right? you know, there were more injuries than maybe we said during the season. Right. Which I think is a protection thing. If they say, oh, he's got an issue with his left knee, what do you think a defensive end's going to do when they have a chance? Right. Well, right. And, and really Charbonnet wasn't healthy 100% when he got to Michigan in the first place. Mm-hmm. He, he had an operation as soon as he arrived, right? Right. Yeah, he missed a lot. Of, he missed a decent chunk of his senior year. So you could argue it's the first time he's been healthy in a couple seasons. And you're talking about a guy who I... Correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say that his he scored more touchdowns than any Michigan freshman at running back last year, right? Or he was close. Uh, I think he might have tied the record. Yeah, it's it's he he was very close to being the best true freshman running back Michigan's ever had. I mean, right. Hart will have that record, but he Charbonnet had a case for second best. Right. So knowing that he wasn't 100 percent while he did that, 
and that he's 100% now, you know, he's still the guy I think I'm most excited to see. I, I think I think Michigan's running back room this year is one of the most fascinating. I mean, we don't cover every team in the country, but I, I have to think it's one of the more fascinating rooms at any position for any team in the country because and we I, th- I don't know if we've talked that much about this, but all four of these guys, and I do think Blake Corum is going to play, mm-hmm. all four of these guys you could argue are completely different running backs. Michigan is not going to be hitting you with they are all strong, which is your point your original point. I do think that I agree that the strength aspect is probably the most prominent trait that's in in common for the four of them, but they're all to me are are guys that Michigan can do radically different things with. You know, I thought it was really interesting to hear Harbaugh yesterday mention they love Hassan Haskins catching the football out of the backfield. Yeah. Because that's something that I look at Chris Evans and Blake Corum really excelling at as well. Not saying that Charbonnet doesn't, but I think Charbonnet is more of your classic 25 carries guy if you need a 25 carries guy. Whereas a guy like Evans, Corum, you know, Michigan has realistically compared Corum to Edwards, Hilaire, not Elaire, if anybody watched Monday Night Football or uh, Monday Night Football last night, they kept calling him Elaire. I think it's Hilaire, but I think the H is silent. Is we can, whatever. Either way, he was yeah. <laughs> really going hard on the E. Um, I like Steve Levy, but he was going really hard on the E layer last night. It was kind of funny. But uh, Michigan has favorably compared Corum to him as far as being similar, you know, because they're similar in stature, similar in running style, and similar in that they really think they can make plays out of the backfield by catching the ball as a receiver, too. So just a totally diverse, interesting group of guys that. And again, it's the room is deeper than it's been for Michigan in, in years, in my opinion. So, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think again that that's probably one position group where probably overall they're good. I I guess for me though, I look at the group and I say, okay, what are they the best at? What what do we know that they will not struggle at? And that is, I think, their strength. And I think, you know. You hear Jay, Jay Harbaugh kind of talk about it. He touches on it a little bit in press conferences. They they really, really, really want good pass-protecting running backs, especially as they switch toward this Josh Gaddis offense. But but in general, I mean, they, they want guys who um, are reliable and dependable in that a- aspect. And I, I think this group is. You know, we'll see. Chris Evans, I know he had some struggles in 2018 with pass pro, but, um, but still, you know, sizable veteran guy who – who has a lot of strength. I mean, he was in 2017, he was one of the best in the big 10 at breaking tackles. So I don't know the exact break, broken tackle rates for Haskins or, or Charbonnet, but I know, I know their fall forward rate was pretty high and I know their yards after contact were, were pretty high as well. Uh, fourth thing that can I say one out, thing, can I say one thing real quick about the yep, backs? Go ahead. You talked about pass protection. I can tell you two things. One, I'd argue, I'd almost argue that Michigan prides their backs in learning pass protection more than anything. And the other thing is, and you're seeing it, Michigan goes out of their way to recruit guys that they that have what they call contact courage. Because mm-hmm. half of the battle of being a good pass protector is getting in there and knowing that you're going to get hit and not trying to make the fancy block to protect your quarterback, but to make the strong, you know. So, so that's, yeah, I think that's another thing. 
it's one of those things that never goes in the box score. But I think last year, I want to say Michigan's pass protection from the running back position was actually, it was better than it's been in the past. You'd mentioned Evan struggling a little bit in 18. It was something they really struggled with earlier on in Harbaugh's tenure after Davion Smith left. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's something to keep an eye on. If you're ever watching the game to kind of watch the backs and pass protection, it's something they've really worked hard to pride themselves on and stuff. So, you know, I thought Charbonnet was actually really, really good in that, in that aspect last year. And Haskins just naturally because he's bigger is more often than not going to be at least relatively effective in, in helping protect the quarterback. Yep. Yep. So the fourth thing that stood out to me, another specific thing to a position group is I think this is as good of a, of a safeties group in terms of pass coverage as you'll find. I've, I've only researched the big 10. I won't say the whole country, but I, I, in the big 10, I don't think there is a better safety room in terms of pass coverage. I think Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins both have very good speed. Uh, Dax Hill actually, actually, excuse me, Hawkins was named first team all big 10 by pro football focus. Maybe the one site that I've seen that does true coverage stats. They said he only allowed one pass for more than 20 yards the whole season. And it was a 25 yarder. And I'm not sure exactly how much he was in coverage, but same time, if you're a safety and you're in coverage and you only allow one pass over 25 yards, uh, that's that's a pretty good year. And they named him first team, all Big Ten, which I don't think we've talked about how underrated he is, uh, probably to the point where he's adequately rated. But I don't think anybody was thinking he was a first team, all Big Ten player, but he was he was really excellent in coverage. And then Dax Hill quietly was same site, Pro Football Focus named third team All Big Ten at corner, and and again people have talked about you know he can put the hit stick on people he's got great speed, uh, but but the coverage and and his fluidity in coverage I think is really something that's going to become more apparent this season. I'm sure you know there were there were I'm sure there's some football heads who saw it last year. I think it's going to be common knowledge how good he is in coverage this fall, and so you know I. Yeah, I think the safety room is probably another group that Michigan is feeling pretty confident in, but I think the coverage specifically I think is one thing that that is really going to be, uh, one, important. You know, we've seen how teams have used slot receivers to try to create mismatches downfield against safeties who are struggling coverage. Might be really good tacklers, really good in, in run co- in run. Uh, coverage but but in terms of pass coverage they've been able to exploit that so I think it's important and then two I think it will be something Michigan can kind of use to get creative with its defense uh, because I mean it, you know I hard to see what the future will hold but I think this is this is about as good as it's going to get in terms of pass coverage at safety I would think um, because they've got two guys who are fast who are committed to coverage who, if they really wanted them to, could probably switch over to cornerback if, if in a pinch. Uh, guys who can play versatile in different, different roles and settings. I think it's something maybe it's not getting discussed enough. I think they've got a really good pair of pass coverage safeties. And this is something we've kind of been waiting for with Don Brown's defense, knowing how much pressure they put on their safeties to cover at a high level, right? I mean, we've seen situations where Michigan safeties have been left on an island 
in unwinnable situations. And I, I don't know with Hawkins and Hill how often it'll be a quote, like an unwinnable situation in a one-on-one type deal, right? I mean, that, that's I think that's where it's big. Mm-hmm. That's one of the small things you kind of look at when you talk about Michigan matching up against Ohio State because Ohio State is deep as hell at the receiver position. They always have been. Is having safeties now that can match up with these guys in one-on-one type situations, and mm-hmm. if 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 that if that's the you know if need if need be, so yeah, no, I mean this is like I said something that I think kind of been waiting for um, out of Don Brown. They've they've tried to recruit towards it, and I think they've pretty much gotten there. I mean, I, I think I think R.J. Moten is a guy look at it in a similar fashion. Not a, or not maybe not a year one impact guy in that regard, but a guy I think in that same mold that they think will eventually kind of fill that type of spot also. So they're getting there. This is kind of the first year though we're with, at both spots. They maybe had it at one spot before, but I think both now yeah with Hawkins and Hill especially at the top. You know I think they do. I think they have two guys that can cause more matchup problems for the offense than than the opposite. Whereas you would see teams purposely run spread sets and put Michigan, you know, we always talk about Penn State, but Penn State did it twice, really, you know, when they would get Barkley on the edge against McCray. I know McCray was a linebacker, but still, like, you know, they would exploit these one-on-one matchups because Michigan was so committed to playing aggressive man-to-man defense. And then Hamler last year, which we've talked about a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that those situations, I think there's a much less chance of that type of stuff happening now because of, of guys like Hill and Hawkins who have the ability to cover at a, at a high level and at the very least a good enough level to force offenses to try something different instead of just spreading them out and force, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think you're right. I think they might even be confident in one-on-one coverages in in with those two at safety because I don't think you know I don't I guess I don't know Hawkins like true speed against another elite speed, but I think last year only allowing one 25-yard pass would suggest uh, you know it's not there's no clear-cut mismatch that Hawkins or Hill will face that isn't a mismatch for every team in the country, right? Like a Rondell Moore, he's going to get open. He's going to make big plays like a Jerry Judy or a, or a Henry Ruggs. I know they both had um, pretty stellar performances in the Citrus Bowl. Some guys are just going to, I mean, top first round talent is going to be first round talent, but I was say those guys are on people's fantasy teams now. I mean, it's not, yeah, like, yeah it's like <laughs> those guys are like, <laughs> you know, Jerry Judy is Denver's number one receiver right now. So, right. Right. So anyway, the, the fifth and, and final uh, thing I think Michigan fans can feel pretty good about is that defensive front, I think they've got a different kind of hunger. And, and I, I hope that doesn't fall on deaf ears because I know some, some variation of it gets said every single year when it comes to Michigan. But I think, I think it was a little bit more apparent this fall. I mean, think about, think about it. You know, Quiddy Pay pretty much getting first-round draft grades everywhere. Um, is announces he's back to playing within what two days? Aiden Hutchinson's parents and Carlo Kemp's parents literally leading quite quite literally leading the charge 
as Michigan protested to have this season back. You know, Cam McGrown, uh, you know, he just met with us reporters last week. Didn't even mention considering going elsewhere. Josh Ross coming off of a of a year-long injury. I think between those five, I think they've got uh, a, a really hungry identity. You know, it's one thing to say you're hungry in press conferences. Another thing for it to be kind of the identity of a position group or two position groups. I think there's a lot of uh, sentiments of unfinished business with that defensive front. And, and there's a lot of skill and talent too. I'm not, not trying to say that's why they'll be good. They, they're also good football players, right? Especially uh, Hutchinson, Pay, and, and McGrone, I feel like could be all Big Ten players. But I also think there's just a sentiment of, uh, of wanting to play, wanting to continue practicing. When, when you know, Michigan very well could have done maybe a, a, like more of a off-season workouts type of practices. They could have done, you know, maybe half the team participates. They could have, could have just shut things down altogether. Um, they didn't. And I think a lot of that has to do with that defensive front. I think they, they really want to change what, what Michigan is known for. And, and I think they really have a lot of hunger a lot of feelings of unfinished business. And um, does that mean that they beat Ohio state? Let's be clear. That does not mean that they beat Ohio state, but I do think if you're, if you're Michigan or, or you're a Michigan fan, you can probably say, well, at least, you know, that's a, there are much worse starting points. That's a great starting point for that defensive front to be, to be so hungry. They're literally protesting for the season to happen. Right. So I think that's something that's, that's kind of the fifth thing that was on my mind where, you know, they've, they've got a, They've got a pretty hungry defensive front. And, and again, when it's like five guys like that, well, then suddenly you might just have a really uh, stellar defensive front in general because hunger mixed with talent, mixed with you know an extra month and a half to work on things, you can get a lot better in that time, time span. So that, that was the fifth thing to me. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much else. I think that can be said about like that aspect of it, right? <clears throat> those guys are the ones that led the charge. They're veterans to begin with. We think they're both they're both probably going to be named captains. You had Kemp in there. Um, like you said, doesn't guarantee anything on the field, but it is one of those. Kind of going back to what I said earlier about having depth of leadership, I guess. Breadth of leadership, yeah. Or deep leadership on the defensive line is invaluable. You know, when you consider how important defensive line play is, you know, in big games. So, uh, so yeah, no, I think that's def- that's definitely one of the things Michigan fans should feel good about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of 2016 defense for Michigan, where it just seemed like every position they had a guy who could theoretically have been named a captain. And so, um, you know, especially kind of that inside linebacker. I know Don Brown's made the 2016 comparison. And then on the defensive front, which we'll talk about in just a moment, there, there, there are some question marks with it, but it does seem like they have leaders, players who are hungry, players who are turning down, I guess, the easier path. I think if I were a football player right now, I, I, I think everyone wants to play, but I, I do think there is an appeal. You know, you can sign with an agent, just train and somewhere warm on your own terms don't have to worry about class necessarily and can start making money. Um, there's a draw to it, no doubt. But 
they all, I mean, they, it wasn't even, I think, I think Quiddy Pay was pretty realistic. And I, you know, I think he had some comments where he kind of hinted that maybe he would go pro instead of playing a spring season. But as soon as it became a fall season, everyone was instantly on board. And I think, I think that says something. Anyway, there are some reasons to be kind of leery or wary of Michigan's very loaded 2020 schedule. We'll talk about those five uh, after this break. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we are back. And Steve, I have five. I I like to do this. I like these kind of stories because, sure, there are things Michigan feels good about. Realistically, there are probably more things they'll feel good about than, than not because they are an above average football team. But there are there are five that, that stood out to me, four that really stood out to me, a fifth one. Uh, just just maybe it's me not having been able to see everybody in person, uh, you know, in practices or a spring game or whatever. But there's a few areas where I think Michigan, they're looking at this next month and they're like, they're circling on the calendar saying, gotta, gotta iron this out. And I think the the biggest one is I think the cornerbacks experience. So they lost Ambry Thomas. They lost Lavert Hill. They have one cornerback who has played in a cornerback role. And that's Vincent Gray, who actually did play a lot of snaps. I think he played over 600 snaps last year. I think his, his snap count was similar to Lavert Hill, if I'm not mistaken. But that's it. You know, there's lots of positive buzz about, you know, DJ Turner or Jamon Green or Andre Seldon, or Darren Green-Warren, a couple true freshmen. But when you're putting together that depth chart, as I did a couple weeks ago, you know, Gray, Gray was pretty good in coverage. You know, he's, got, he's got very long arms, pretty good uh, frame. But you really don't know what anything else is going to look like in the cornerback room. And, and I think that's one position where experience does matter. I mean, there's a re- as good as David Long was, there's a reason... You know, he didn't necessarily play until his sophomore year. Same with, um, same with Lavert Hill. You know, Jordan Lewis, Channing Stribling, those guys had a learning curve, right? So it's, I, I think if Michigan, you know, I, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll hear from Don Brown or Mike Zordich uh, in the coming days and we'll hear something completely different. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if every once in a while they, they kind of, Maybe not literally wake up in a cold sweat, but you know the, the expression and just say, "Ah, what if they're not ready?" Especially, 
I think this is a bad year to have inexperienced corners because they start with Minnesota, a team that's going to throw a lot. Uh, whether whether I, I, I kind of feel like Rashad Bateman's going to end up playing, uh, but but even if not, they're still going to throw a lot. They still have an experienced uh, quarterback. They still have a coaching staff that's proven to be able to develop wide receivers, that's recruited some speed in themselves. It's it's something I think that that you know every Michigan fan's probably looking at saying, you know, maybe crossing their fingers too and saying, well, let's see what DJ Turner's got. You know, let's see what some of these other players have. So to me, that stood out as the one thing I think Michigan Michigan can't can't get past it until they prove otherwise, I think. Yeah, I think the one thing to keep in mind here is something that's it's something that Sam reported a couple weeks ago, and it's also something we've kind of heard behind the scenes for a while that Michigan has toyed with and, and tinkered around with is putting Daxon Hill mm-hmm. out on the edge and playing some corner. If they were to do that in certain sets he immediately becomes their number one corner, in my opinion. I mean, this is a guy that Ohio State and Alabama were both recruiting as a cornerback, not a safety. And I argued uh, during an in Sam's piece uh, on the board that Michigan really, I think, looked at Hill as a safety more out of sort of necessity and that at safety they knew he'd play, could play right away because they probably, you know, they needed to upgrade that safety room. So that will be something to watch there. If they get good enough uh, production from another safety on the roster, like a Sammy Faustin, Makari Page, and R.J. Moten, where they might feel put, feel comfortable putting them next to Brad Hawkins in not all the snaps, because I suspect Hill will play safety in, in some scenarios, but that might be something to watch in that regard. Because like you said, mm-hmm. otherwise there's, yeah, the experience level is really next to nothing. And also agree that Minnesota not a good opener in that regard, especially if Bateman if Bateman comes back, right? So, right. So I do. Th- I agree. I think that's something where, by and large, and we've said Michigan's gotten guys they've wanted at corner. There's been a lot of talk lately about the cornerback recruiting. You know how it's been underwhelming. I'd argue it. It in one way it has, in one way it hasn't, because they are getting guys that they want. But we and we also said I think I think. Of the three guys opting out, or that originally opted out, Mayfield back now, I thought Ambry Thomas was by far the biggest loss of the three. Because at least in the receiver room, you know there's a lot of talent there. Might take a little bit to get acclimated. And Collins is a unique receiver even within that room. But, man, I think Ambry Thomas's best ball was in front of him this year still. Not saying he should have or shouldn't have left. I mean, I you know, Ambry's a good dude. Had a lot of reasons to opt out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, just his best ball is still in front of him. I think he had all American potential. I mean, I think he's that good. I always have always felt like Ambry Thomas would be the best Detroit corner that Michigan's had under Harbaugh, including Jordan Lewis, including Lavert Hill. I mean, I think Ambry's ceiling is higher than both those guys. So, you know, huge loss in that regard, right? So. You know, I think the Hill factor will be interesting to watch because if 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 you see D- Daxon Hill line up at corner at all, it feels it means that Michigan feels pretty good about. I would take it as they feel good about what their other safeties have done, not that they're panicking at corner necessarily, just because you're going to be playing teams that are going to be throwing the ball a lot, and you want your best cover guys. We talked a lot about on the board about Hill is so valuable 
because you could put him in a variety of spots and you know that you have your 11 best guys on the field in that situation, right? I think he's he is such a luxury to have, and I think he's the type of talent that Michigan maybe not used to having in the defensive backfield uh, as far as that versatility where you can legitimately move him around and he's still one of the two or three best players in the unit. So, you know, that's something I'd keep an eye on. But, yeah, I mean, and that's with that or without that, yeah, you're asking a lot of the DJ Turners, Jamon Green, even the true freshmen, two freshman guys like Darian Green Warren and Andre Selden. I mean, you're asking a lot out of these guys, Jalen Perry, to kind of step in. And we've seen Michigan guys do it before. I mean, they've done it. They've had guys that have stepped in and played at a high level. But when you're trying to win seven or eight games in this shortened season, you know, you open up, yeah, you open up with a toughie makes it difficult to just kind of get acclimated immediately like that. Yeah. You almost wonder, could Michigan have Dax Hill play corner? Well, first of all, they should play him where they, they should. I, and I, I'm sure they are, uh, you know, figure out what's optimal for him and the team. I'm sure. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen him at corner, but yeah, you almost wonder, would it be beneficial to Michigan to put him on Rashad Bateman in week one? And then kind of move him back to safety, right? Yeah, it's possible. Because they, you know, not, not that Michigan State and Indiana are are nothing, but I I do think if if they were opening with Michigan State and then Indiana and then they played Minnesota, I think the the cold sweat wake ups, so to speak, wouldn't be quite as dramatic for this cornerback room because you figure, okay, well they can probably work a couple guys in and kind of have Gray be be the stalwart and and. So much of this, again, is we, we haven't seen practice. So I can't say with my own eyes what these players will look like. I can just say they've never played in a game. They've never played corner at Michigan. And you can look at history and say, well, that, that's usually not the ideal scenario. So, yeah, I, I kind of like Dax Hill at, at corner in, in theory. I just, I, I just based on what his scouting report was out of high school. And, and as you mentioned, a lot of top teams were recruiting him there. And, you know, you mentioned they might feel comfortable at safety. They also do have a need for a corner. I mean, if you could say Michigan has an all-Big Ten player at this position this season, at, at X position this season, which position would improve Michigan the most? I mean, maybe quarterback, but I think number two might be cornerback. Yep. So. Could never have enough coverage, guys. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, number two, uh, this one's like, very specific, so hopefully uh, our listeners stay with us here. But but I think the offensive line's pass protection floor, I think, is something that that might cause for concern. I I, I actually I'm on record saying I think the offensive line is going to be uh, pretty good this season. And this was even with Jalen Mayfield not back, I I felt that way. You know, just the size, the the overall time in the program at Warner's track record. Uh, the fact that they have gotten a lot of top targets, both at, at tackle and at guard and at center. I felt like the offensive line worries were perhaps a bit overblown, not completely overblown, but I, I felt like the offensive line would be pretty good. And then when they delayed the season, I kind of thought, well, now you might be talking about a real plus, like an asset on the team. It might be offensive line because they have this time to gel, to build this chemistry. Um, you know, Ed Warner, real, real 
you know, part of why he's able to develop talent is that he's a real committed coach in terms of, you know, he can, he can overcoach, I think. And sometimes that's, that's not so good, but I think with him, it is good. I think he's a true, you know, you could put him in any classroom and he'd be a, a great teacher. He's that kind of coach. And so I think an extra month and a half with him probably is to several players benefits. But I and, I and I think their size is really good. I, I actually think they'll be pretty good at run blocking. I think they've got guys that can that can move people. Um, you know, think about Chuck Filiaga, Andrew Stuber. They just look like run blocking menaces. And the fact they've both been in the program or in you know, on the team for so long probably makes me think that they're pretty. They've got that down. You know, the the timing, uh, you know, the mechanics, and then also also the schematics. Pass protection, I don't know if you can teach that quite as much in practice. And I don't know if these players are particularly good at at pass protection. So I'm looking at this offensive line. I think the size is good. I think the strength is good. I think the experience is better than people give it credit for. But the especially on the inside, Ben Bredesen, Michael Nwenu, who I know you just wrote about, and Cesar Ruiz, they didn't allow a single sack at all last season. I mean, they were as good as it gets at pass protection. And they all went, they all were drafted. They're all playing in the NFL. I think two of them are starters on probable playoff teams already. And so I think I think the the pass protection can be good, but I, I think Michigan or Michigan fans. Uh, might be a little bit worried about the floor because it can be really bad too. And and I think Michigan has had games where they lost largely because there were just some some real misses in pass protection. So maybe I'm too far out on on a limb here, Steve. Maybe maybe you can walk me back in. But but I think that's one area that uh, of the offensive line that I I'm not quite sold on yet. I'm I'm relatively high in this offensive line, but that's one area I'm 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 going to have to be shown that they can do it before I necessarily will predict that they will. I, th- I think that's totally fair. Not just because they're new starters, but as you said, you illustrate like how good. That's like the story I just posted on Big Mike. He's the highest rated rookie in the league right now, according to Pro Football Focus, regardless of position. And he's the third highest ranked guard in the NFL through three games. I mean, Bill Belichick is giving him compliments. I mean, that's how good... <laughs> That's how well that he's his career has started in the NFL. <clears throat> you know, and say you talk about Cesar Ruiz, first round pick. So yeah, the pressure is going to be on those guys in the interior because I expect the 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 tackles with Mayfield back specifically. Yeah, they're both pretty athletic. Maybe yep. I should change it. Maybe I should be offensive interior. I think so because I think for. you know Hayes is a guy that they've always been excited about. This will kind of be his year, I think, to take that step. You know, next step forward. Yeah, they've got the they, quick feet. You know, converted tight end or. Former yep. basketball players, yeah, and then Mayfield, yep. Mayfield's Mayfield, Mayfield's Mayfield, right? I mean, he's a guy that it's almost like getting a first or second round pick back on your roster, <laughs> you know, is a nice little uh, added bonus there. But yeah, in the interior, yeah, you're replacing all three of those guys. Um, to me, it'll be you know who steps up, and yeah, there's going to be a learning curve there. Yeah, you said those guys didn't give up a sack. In the interior last year, I mean, there's that. That's not going to be repeated. I don't. Th- I'd be shocked if that was repeated, right? I mean, it's just hard right. to. But on their the things they do have on their side are kind of repeating what you said. But um, experience and talent 
So if a guy like, if a Zach Zinter, which again, we're not expecting Zach Zinter to come out and win one of those jobs, but if by chance he was to come out and win one of those jobs, that means they have somebody they think is immensely talented because they'd be beating out third and fourth year guys to take that spot. So you're either going to end up with a, mm-hmm. somebody who has tons of experience in Warner's system and is talented on their own. We talked Philly Aga was a top 150. Uh, a guy like Nolan Rumler was a, a four-star prospect and a top target. You know, Carpenter still kind of coming back, I think. Um, you know, the Vistardis, who they love. They love Andrew Vistardis. I, I have to go back and find that still where I – when they took Vistardis as a PWO, I said Michigan was getting a scholarship level player, and that's kind of borne out now because he probably would be the starter at center as of today. And then at right guard, we'll see, do they do they put Barnhart back in there? We thought Barnhart would be the guy to take over Mayfield's spot if Mayfield was gone. Do they just plug Barnhart in there because they're that high on him, or do they just kind of keep Barnhart in the outside and groom him to take over for Mayfield next year? I think if it's the former then that means that whoever wins that job is another guy they must feel really good about because we know they love Barnhart. I mean, mm-hmm. we've heard more about Barnhart than almost anybody as far as guys who haven't played extensively over the last 18 months. So, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's just, to me, that's a big just question mark is not can they repeat that success because I think that's maybe asking too much for three new starters, but how close can they come to matching that success? Because I think, you know, I think by and large, They'll be, they'll be fine on the outside, but it really will come down to that interior and, and how productive those guys can be, uh, particularly in the past. I think on both, I think in both aspects, but I do agree. I think they're more, I think it'll be, they're more likely to repeat that success in the run game. You know, so I do, I do think the pass protection will be kind of the bigger question uh, of the two, of the two aspects. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I, I think, I think we outlined that and, and I will say I'm, I'm amending it to the, offensive line interior so when it's a written story uh because i think you're right i mean they have they have really good athletes at both tackle spots and and both guys just it, from their scouting reports to what we've seen so far um pass protection might be considered a strength for both of them so anyway uh next one if, if you don't mind because i i think you probably have an answer for this as, as good as anyone around but regarding the quarterback position, lots of buzz about Joe Milton. You know, his, his arm, his talent. I think the, the teammates, the way they've kind of rallied around him or gotten excited about him, I think speaks volumes, including Jalen Mayfield citing it as a reason for coming back. I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Joe Milton. I think until he plays a college, until he has a college start, I think there will be questions about his accuracy. I think uh, it's pretty well documented, 47% completion percentage in high school. Don't think it was necessarily, I mean, entirely his fault. Uh, you know, Multiple people saw him live in person and said there were a lot of drops and there were a lot of throws that his receivers misread or whatever. But Steve, uh, I think until, in my opinion, until it's shown in a game, you know, of course, he's improved his accuracy, undoubtedly. He spent, what, two and a half years prepping while at Michigan. But I do wonder, is it, is it going to be the level of accuracy that Michigan needs? You know, Harbaugh's often been a kind of play-it-safe coach when it comes to quarterbacks. He, not, not game manager. He, he hates that term. 
but he likes quarterbacks that don't give up the football uh, in terms of interceptions. Can, can Joe Milton be that kind of quarterback? Can he be accurate enough for this passing game to truly work? So I don't know enough about, you know, how he's evolved or what it was like in high school. Is this fair to put this as a, as a major question mark for Michigan heading into the season? I think it's incredibly fair. I mean, cause we haven't, Michigan hasn't even really seen it in a game type scenario. yet. Yeah. They put the pads on in two days, right? Yeah. So not to mention, I'd say one thing too, if there was one kind of development, I guess that has sort of given me a little bit of pause as far as like immediate optimism about Milton's production was what happened this past weekend. You see Spencer Rattler struggled in, in kind of a crunch time situation for Oklahoma against Kansas State. Same for Miles Brennan at LSU. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of struggled to bring bring the Tigers back at home against, you know, Mississippi State. So, you know, and I think it's one of those deals I've kind of been saying for a little bit is I, th- I think it's fair to be really excited about Milton, but I, I it's it's also it's unfair not to know or assume that there are going to be ups and downs with him as far as just, I think you're going to see some kind of funky mistakes. It's just, it's going to be a process still. It's one part of the process to work your way into the starting position. It's a whole nother process to take that job and kind of run with it. You know, there are going to be bumps in the road. It's just a matter of how big are the bumps? How can Michigan manage the bumps? How does he manage them? You know, mentally, emotionally, whatever. I suspect that part won't be an issue for him. Uh, I think he's worked too hard to let that type of stuff get him really get in his head. Uh, but, you know, and I, yeah, I think the accuracy, he's worked really hard on, on learning how to control his arm. I've always compared it to a, so like a reliever who throws 102, 103. Right. But it's nice to throw 102, 103, but you got to hit the corners if you're going to make any money. And you got to, you know, maybe learn to take some off every once in a while. You got to have that secondary pitch, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of the way I've always looked at him as far as, yeah, he can throw the ball a mile and he can throw it 100 miles an hour. A lot of those drops you talked about in high school were guys, it was, they were throwing it so hard. It was like, I think he, had, he broke one of his receiver's fingers uh, throwing the football so hard, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's just really, I think, definitely think that's a very – legitimate question and something that yeah you can't you got to rein in your excitement a little bit just because again maybe he maybe he walks in and that's not that big of an issue you know Michigan creates enough open receivers for him that he can kind of get into a rhythm and, and get comfortable but until we've seen it and until Michigan's even seen it like I said you know it's we haven't really seen it we've seen clips of one great throw you know which is again it's enough to get you excited but you know, you get hit a couple times, weather's cold. You know, there's a lot of other things that can happen that, you know, can, can kind of change this stuff up pretty quickly. So, yeah, I right. think it's definitely a real a real question uh, heading in. Absolutely. Especially opening up on the road. I know there's no crowd, but you still got to travel. Who knows what the weather will be like in Minnesota um, on October Late 24th. October. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, obviously, they're usually playing – at that point in the year. So you have that expectation, but you just never know. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. A couple things to, to acknowledge is, 
Um, one, it does seem like Michigan has, we just mentioned the receiver speed. I mean, they could do a, a couple bubble screens, right? If, if, if it really, you know, if he does seem maybe overused cliche, but if he does seem rattled out there or his accuracy just isn't there, they can probably find a way to make it work in a short game, right? And then two, one thing that I think um, Oklahoma and LSU had a lot of departures. Those quarterbacks were also following Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow. And then I also think they've had a, a few more stoppages of workouts along the way. Michigan is about to have, what, two and a half months of consecutive workouts without, well, so far without pause. I guess you never know, but um, is that is that enough time to kind of build a little bit more chemistry, build a little bit more of that muscle memory, um, find that touch, as you kind of mentioned? So I'm very curious to see it, but but yeah, I think I think anyone anyone can look at Joe Milton. I mean, the best quarterbacks in college often were the best quarterbacks in high school, and so he's going to be a little bit more of the exception than the norm in that case. Uh, you know, in, and that's if he finds his accuracy and, and what kind of, what kind of quarterback he looks like in week one, I guess is what we're trying to say. Cause everyone talks about his ceiling, but what is, what does it look like when the, when the score counts October 24th, yep. uh, fourth one, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, this off season, but the interior pass rush, you know, Carlo Kemp, we've talked about his leadership. I don't think either of us would project him to be a first-team All-Big Ten kind of player. I don't think any of us would project him to be a true pass-rushing disruptor. Chris Hinton maybe maybe has a little bit more of that potential. Uh, first-year starter, second-year overall player. I, I think this is key. We talked about it, I think, literally the last episode. This is key to be successful in college football. You need um, defensive tackles that just our quarterback's nightmare. You need a Mo Hurst. You know, you look at some of Michigan's best teams in history. A lot of times they had a, a crazy good defensive tackle. Oftentimes one that could win big 10 defensive player of the year. Now that probably isn't necessarily a need, but I think that's, that's huge for Michigan to have good interior pass rush. Just, you know, the past couple of years, not a ton of sacks, not a ton of quarterback pressures coming from, the inside, I I don't know enough about what Chris Hinton has looked like in in practice to to say if this is you know what what level of uncertainty this is, but it's certainly something Michigan is is very much hoping to get more from this season than last. Well, I, I think Chris is one of Michigan's most important players this year because I think he's the level of talent that can be a, a problem in the middle, you know, and I think I think near the end of the year, he was playing really, really well. I mean, he looked good against Ohio state, thought he was productive against Alabama, you know, and I think a lot of times we've talked about it before when a guy's like first taste of action is like really positive, which I think his, I think I would qualify his as being highly positive. A lot of times guys can parlay that into a next a, a jump that next year because they've been there. They know what it takes. They know what they need to do, you know, and not to mention the guy, like I said, a guy like him is already immensely talented. He was a five-star prospect, you know, so I think he's really one of the more important players on the team because we kind of know what Kemp is going to give you mm-hmm. in a good way. 
I think Hinton offers a lot of different tools that Michigan, you know, would love to use. And and again, here's the thing. Michigan should be good enough on the edge to give him opportunities to, to make plays in the middle too, whether in the pass game or the run game. You know, with Hutchinson, Pay, we talk a lot about those guys. You know, Michigan always, we're seeing Michigan's edge guys succeed in the NFL. You know, Don Brown knows how to use guys on the edge. So, you know, with that in mind, kind of look at it the same way, a little bit different, but it was a lot of talk about Chase Winovich always being able to capitalize on the attention given to Rashawn Gary and, and vice versa when they were both on Michigan's roster. Because I think it's a deal where, these guys, where a guy like Hinton in the middle will have ample chances to, you know, take one-on-one opportunities and, and make plays out of them. So, no, I, I've always – I've thought that Chris is one of the most important players for Michigan this year just because I think – I always look at who are those guys that, if they play at a high level, can really help the defense as a unit take that next step. And, I mean, he's really first or second name I think of in that regard. You know, because Michigan's biggest problems in big games have been not getting enough rush to the passer. And I think, you know, they have they've really been missing that interior pass rush since Mo Hurst left. And so, you know, I think I think Hinton is the one who can come as close to replicating that as 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 they have on the roster for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this says two things that Chris Hinton was second on among all defensive tackles and tackles last season says that he he has a lot of potential and he I mean he got almost all of those in the, the last two games of the season so he's got a lot of potential I think it also said they needed more from defensive tackles not named Carlo Kemp last season I mean they had to they had to do three man fronts in big games multiple times because you know they just they didn't feel they didn't they didn't quite have the depth or the the pass rushing presence for it to be worth doing a four man front so and you talk about best 11 they had to go with their best 11 at times. So that's probably maybe that could rank number one. I, I put it fourth just because I, I ordered these and what came to my mind. Uh, but anyway, the fifth one, this came from kind of looking at the depth chart and, and thinking, okay, Michigan probably feels pretty good about its receiver depth. Definitely feels good about its running back depth. Offensive line has enough position battles. I don't think there's a huge drop off between first string and second string. Uh, you know, kind of looking around on the defense, though, they've got some big names. They've got some leaders. They've got some guys who I think could be all Big Ten type players. A lot of questions. I mean, pretty much, I guess, at every position now, maybe the biggest question is, do they have a third or a fourth guy that can step up and be be a net positive for Michigan this season? You know, it's true at defensive end. A lot of buzz about Luigi Villain and Taylor Upshaw and uh, some of these other players, but what do they look like when they're asked to rotate in defensive tackle? You know, it's a Mozzie Smith or Donovan Jeter or Jess Spate. What do they look like linebacker starting to, I think a little bit more of a, of a rotation is brewing there. I mean, you have Anthony Solomon, you have Van Van Summer and you have Nikai Hill green. Seems like there's, those are three guys Michigan feels pretty good about that. They've built that trust with. And then safety mentioned the freshman, Sammy Fawson's getting some dude of the day shout outs, but I don't know the second flight. I almost at every defensive spot. I think it's something, well, they probably did need the season delayed for that reason. I mean, it probably is that does nothing but help them 
because they have more time to to figure out you know who's who, more time for players maybe for the, for the light switch to come on if they're an upperclassman, uh, more time for the freshmen to understand what's do what, what's going on for the game to slow down to them. Honestly, this this isn't as big as the other four, and it's obviously not as specific either. But I, I you know I do think defensive depth. I, I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to be kind of thrown into the fire a little bit. A lot of guys I'm sure Michigan would have loved to have played against a ball state or, you know, kind of, kind of a gimme game early on in the season. Uh, it just seems like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have great depth and we just don't know it, but a lot of names, a lot of guys who haven't played uh, who could be asked to play pretty significant roles this season. I think where the concern would lie, particularly on the edge, as far as I get this, is the, what I how I would say it, I guess the defensive line as a whole. You talk about guys like Jeter. I mean, these guys are in their third and fourth years. You know, Upshaw, Jeter, uh, Welshoff, guy not mentioned, Luigi Valame, which won't really throw him too far in there because he's really been battling some injuries, obviously. But you know, you got to think you got to be able to count on guys like that at this point in in a non-starting role if you're going to have any type of success where you're not like running your starters into the ground. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys, you know, Upshaw was an 18. Welshoff was an 18. Um, you know, I mean, this, this is, this is their third year in a Don Brown system. It's not a new system. You know, they haven't had to learn anything new. It's the same system. So these are guys that you're, you got to think, you know, you got to hope that the light has gone on and that they can at least give you when they're in, they're giving you quality snaps. So, I mean, that's, that's one way I kind of, it's one of those things where I think it is a legitimate question, but man, if it's a question that Michigan isn't able to answer, you know, then I think you start having the conversation about recruiting a little bit, because if you have third year guys in your system that aren't getting to the point where they can help at least help in a backup role, then I think you can legitimately start to question some of the types of guys that they're trying to recruit. Because to me, there's no excuse that a third, a third year guy you can take project guys all you want, and it's just fine. I actually I think Michigan can see where they've gone with this in a lot of situations, particularly up front. But if yeah, I mean if if you can't get something, some quality out of those out of any guy by the time that they're in their third year in the program, you know, then I think you're, you know, like I said, you're opening yourself up to a, at least a little bit of criticism as far as recruiting goes. So. I think the potential is obviously there though. Right. I mean, that's, I think, I think they're a little bit deeper across the board than people maybe realize. I do like, you know, you talk about linebacker, Anthony Solomon definitely looks like a strong fourth backer. Although it sounds like Van Summeren has had a really good off season as well, which is again, having guys like that step up is your best case scenario. Cause a couple months ago, he was a guy we really wouldn't have penciled in as being a, significant contributor at linebacker right even after the move a guy that we thought maybe maybe next year you know but to hear it so many positive things about what he's done that's the type of stuff you know that we history says that you know that guy will probably at least will be all right will be a guy they'll feel comfortable plugging in certain situations relieving the starter for a few snaps that type of deal so um yeah i mean you always want to have defensive depth right i mean it's it's (laughs) Depth is as important as any single thing in football. Uh, 
you know, not again, not just to get those guys snaps, but to keep your best players fresh too. So yeah, I mean, there are definitely some unanswered deals though. Another guy that we've seen named due to the day, I think a couple times that's, I think Michigan fans should be happy to see is Sammy Faustin mm-hmm. at safety. That's important. Yeah. Yep. Right. Is a guy that We'd heard some good things about. We know Don Brown was really excited about him when they recruited him, but we again, another guy that we also knew was not going to be a year one or even year two guy. So kind of like Upshaw, it's his third year in the system. You got to start to see some kind of return on that if you're really going to be excited about you know what what they bring to the table and, and what they can offer the program. So um, you know to see him get some some recognition from Don Brown as far as his effort and his, his performance in practice, I think is one of those things that that's where you're thinking, okay, maybe they do have, maybe a couple of these guys are ready to step up, not take on like a massive role necessarily, but to take on some kind of role, you know, to, like I said, give the, the guys who are playing a lot a rest or, you know, we talk about if a situation in Michigan wants to move, play Dax Hill at corner in, you know, the season opener or for some, some kind of game or something you know, they have a guy now they feel like they can plug in a vet, a guy who knows the system that they can put in there and who can play at an um, adequate or above adequate or, or good level, you know, in his stead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you look at the defensive starters, a lot of guys who stepped up in their third year, Brad Hawkins, Quiddy pay Carlo Kemp. Um, I know he's not on the team, but Amory Thomas, probably could say the same on the offensive side of the ball, but, but looking specifically at these defensive rotations, that third year was kind of when they started to work in and, and, and were kind of um, really productive players for Michigan. And so um, not, not too late, but I do think year three is kind of the year to, unless you had an injury or, or, or there was another reason that you didn't contribute, that's kind of the year where you show what you can do and for, for better or for worse. So anyway, that, those are the five that I was kind of thinking of, the biggest question marks. I, I'm sure you could list a few more. Um, we actually did probably discuss a, a few smaller ones along the way. Uh, beginning of the episode, obviously we mentioned the five things I think Michigan probably can feel most good about. Be curious your thoughts. Feel free to weigh in, be it on the message board, or you can, you can bug us on Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, these were kind of the ones I was looking at. Curious what everyone else's thoughts were. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.